Anytime you get into a discussion, a debate, one of the first things you have to do is define the terms. When we say certain words in the course of this discussion or the debate, we want to make sure that we mean the same thing. So you will hear in a formal debate, uh, the debater step up and say, for the, for the purposes of this debate, these terms will be defined these ways. If you want to talk about marriage in our culture, it's really important that you take the time to define the terms. What is it that you mean when you say marriage? Uh, two people who love each other? Not marriage. We are fortunate and that God gave us a definition of marriage. And he did it really quick in the Bible story. It was so important that he, taught, he gave it to us, he told us in the second chapter of Genesis. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And both the man, man and the woman were naked, and they felt no shame. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and bonds with his wife, and they become one flesh. And both the man and the woman were naked and felt no shame. This is God's word for God's people. Hear it, believe it, and live. Let's pray together. In this postmodern time, in this crisis of meaning and purpose, we pray that you would define these terms and that we would live these terms as your word says. And we pray this in your name, amen. When you read the second chapter of the book of Genesis and you hear about Eve being given to Adam, there are a couple of things that strike you in the story and they strike you real fast. First, God gave Adam a job before he gave him Eve. Verse 15, he puts him in the garden to care and tend for the, for the garden. Then he gives him Eve. So ladies, the next time the young man leans over and whispers the three little words, you lean back and whisper three more. Get a job. <laughs> Did you notice that it was the man who leaves his home? You would think in a patriarchal society, like the book of Genesis was written in, that it would be the woman who's told to leave her home and join the man. Even in the second chapter of Genesis, we can't get men out of the basement of mama's home. 
and the two become one flesh. Literally, that happens in children. And when your child acts a certain way, you blame it on your wife. Oh, that's you. When he acts a certain way, she blames him on me. Oh, that's you. The two become one flesh. And in one of the most beautiful sentences in all of the Bible. Now, when you're 12 years old, this is the funniest passage in the Bible. You know, I spent way too much time in church. You know, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday. So you, you spend time uh, making up funny things with hymn titles and making up and trying to find words that make you giggle in the Bible. And naked was one of those words. And it was right there in the second chapter. And you would show it to your buddy and he would laugh and you would laugh. And then you'd both get in trouble for laughing in church. And you try to tell your mama we were reading the Bible. <laughs> that didn't work. But you get a little older and you read this passage with a sigh. What you would give to have a relationship like this, where you could be that honest, where you could be that safe, where you could say to the other, here I am, warts and all, and not be ashamed and not be afraid, and you could go from there. How many games do we play? How many masks do we wear? trying to be the person that we think the other will love. Did you notice in this beautiful passage that the word love isn't there? Did you notice in this beautiful passage The two people become one, that there is something about a man and something about a woman together that reveal the person of Christ in ways that one can't do alone. That is the union of the two, that that happens. That is a beautiful understanding of marriage. The world hadn't said anything close to this. You want to cross stitch it and put it on the front of your refrigerator door. And then you want to step back and look at it and go, oh, that is so beautiful. How do you do that? You and I aren't the first people to ask that question. A group of believers a long time ago asked that same question. Okay, Paul, we're Christians. Now what? How do we do this marriage things as brothers and sisters in Christ? How do we do this as men who follow Christ, as women who follow Christ? And Paul answers in the fifth chapter of Ephesians. Now, because of the way the Bible is split up, we miss the hinge verse, the verse that holds the previous section and the, and the following section together. Verse 21 is one of Paul's hinge verses. He has them all the time. He'll talk to you about something theological and then he will apply it. And he will give you some verse that holds the two sections together. Verse 21 is that verse. Open your Bibles and turn to Ephesians 5, 21. You should bring your Bible. I refer to it on occasion. 
Verse 21, submitting yourselves one to another in fear of Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is head of the wife as Christ is head of the church. He is the savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of the water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides for it and cares for it as Christ does for the church since we are now members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Did you notice what passage Paul quoted? Genesis 2. This mystery is profound, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. Now, probably one of the most abused passages in all of the Bible. We have done a great job of picking out little pieces of this and not keeping it together. It is all of this, this whole passage is under that first sentence. Submit yourselves one to another out of reverence for Christ. Because I am a Christ follower, because Jesus is Lord of my life, because Jesus is owner of my life. The way I show that, the way I testify to that is the way I submit to Jeannie. Because she is a Christ follower, a woman who has decided to make Jesus Lord of her life. The way she shows that, testifies to that, is she submits to me. I'm submitted to her. She is submitted to me. We are trying to outlove each other, which you can't do because you always end up with more than you had. Now, guys, be careful with this passage. It's a trick. It's one of the oldest speaking tricks in the world. Get them saying yes. How many of you have heard that? If you're talking to somebody trying to make a sales pitch, you get them saying yes. Paul gets the guys saying yes. Now remember, this would have been read to a gathering of the believers. Somebody would have said, we got a letter from Paul. Let's sit down, we'll all read it. This is what the guys would have heard. Wives, submit to your husbands. Every guy in the place is going, yes. Pay attention to this man, baby. He's bringing you God's word. Because Christ, because the husband is head of the house. Yes. As Christ is head of the church. As Christ is head of the church. Oops. See what it did, guys? 
You've already told your wife, listen to this man, he's bringing new word of God. Now he's telling you, you love your wife as Christ loves the church. Christ bears on his body the scars of his love. In all my years of being pastor here, we've never had a meeting about who this church belonged to. We've never had a debate. Everyone knows this church belongs to Jesus. Nobody loves us like Jesus has loved us. No one cares for us the way Jesus loves us and cares for us. No one has paid the price like Jesus has paid the price for us. Yes, we are his. He has bought us. The world will tell you, as long as two people love each other, they ought to be able to be married. Because isn't marriage about love? Isn't marriage about family? No, it's not. I'm always the bad guy when a couple gets engaged. They'll come, she giving me the universal signal that I now have a ring. And they'll come up to me and go, oh, we're, we're, we're engaged. We're saying, Don't you want to celebrate with us? And I'll say, great, tell me where you were when God gave you permission to take this relationship to the next level. Huh? But we love each other. Has nothing to do with it. Has nothing to do with it. As long as we allow marriage to be defined by emotion, then everybody has claim to it. But we do not proclaim a marriage where people love each other. We proclaim a Christ-centered marriage where in the husband's obedience to Christ, he loves and celebrates and stewards his wife. And where the wife in her love for Christ celebrates, encourages, and stewards her husband so that when you are with the two of them, when you go into that home, you see something about love, you see something about Christ, you can't find anywhere else. Your marriage is an outpost of the kingdom of God. When someone sits down at your table, when someone comes into your home, they should be coming in to the very place, the very table of Christ. They should meet you, they should meet your spouse, and they should encounter the risen Christ. Christ-centered. I believe that it was part of my following Christ that led me to Jeannie. 
Yes, and I can tell you where I was when he told me that was her. We were in church, believe it or not. I can tell you what she was wearing too. But that's not how the world defines it. That's how we define it. Now, where do you start? You start with a man who loves Jesus. That's never on any young lady's list, is it? Who are you looking for? I'm looking for somebody who's cute. I'm looking for somebody who's funny. I'm looking for somebody who'll spend a lot of money on me. Is he a follower of Christ? Not is he telling you that he's going to church. Have you seen in his life the evidence of someone who is following Christ? If not, you'll be unequally yoked. What does unequally yoked mean? It means if you don't have both, both oars in the water, all you do is go in circles. And the harder you row, the faster the circle. That's it. I'll talk to young men. Young men say, well, you know, I'd, I'd like to find a young lady. I'd like to get married. What are you looking for? I'd like for her to be cute. What about a relationship with Christ? It's not on there, is it? If you talk to anybody who's been married any length of time, you know what the one thing they will tell you about the secret to a long marriage? The number one answer. Kindness. Kindness. Is that on anybody's list? Here is the young man I'm looking for. Oh, kindness is at the top of the list. No, it's not. Talk to any young man. What are you looking for? Oh, I'm looking for a kind girl. No, you're not. It's the one thing that we're told is, is the strength of a marriage, but it's not on anybody's list. Does the person you're dating, is the person you're married to, understand the love that Christ has for them? Because that's where it starts. It starts in my relationship with Jesus Christ. Everything I need, everything I'm searching for, all of my meaning and all of my purpose is found in my relationship with Christ. Not my relationship with Jeannie. Okay, I'll talk to people all the time. Why do you want to get married? Oh, we love each other. I need them. That's codependent. That's a mental illness. That's not a reason to get married. Here's the hard truth, and you know it is the fact. Jeannie would be fine without me. Now, you don't have to agree that quick, all right? <laughs> Give it a little thought, okay? You know that. I would be fine without her. I wouldn't want to be. Fact is, she doesn't need me. She wants me. And that's a lot more fun than being needed. I don't need her. 
but I want her. And that's a lot more fun than being needed. We're talking about a Christ-centered relationship where a husband who is a Christ follower shows his love for Christ in the way that he stewards, maximizes the master's investment. The wife becomes the very best person she could ever be because of the love of her husband. And where a Christ-centered woman loves her husband the way the church loves her Lord, takes the life that's given to her and gives it back again. That's not what the world talks about. So the next time your friend talks about marriage, be sure you define the terms. My guess is they want to take something God has given us and redefine it give it another meaning, and it's not their word. Marriage is not their calling. It's not their design. The world can't redefine the word. Here's what marriage means. A Christ-centered husband loving his wife as Christ loves the church. A Christ-centered wife who loves her husband as Christ loves, as, as the church loves Christ. And in that miracle, the two of them become one. And they live together, and they laugh together, and they love together without shame. It's God's word, it's God's miracle. It's God's marriage.